0: The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in His kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen, amen, right? Thank you, man. Beautiful. Good morning, Ecclesia. I'm honored to be here. My name is Craig Detweiler, and I live in Seattle. I'm president of the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology. We bring you greetings, and uh, we, we feel a, a part of you. Um, we sent a team out here after the storm, as you were helping the city, you know, clean up and rebuild. Uh, we sent a team to, to, to just care for you in the midst of you caring for others, and so we feel a, a strong kinship. And solidarity. Um, so I'm honored to be here. Uh, I, I know you're smart folks, you know, really quick, and so I thought as a professor I should start with a pop quiz, <laughs> right? Who doesn't love a little pop quiz? So let's just see if you can identify, let's see if you can identify these pictures. I got some images, let's, let's see how you do, all right? And I want you, young lady, all right, let's go. Let's see what happens here. Ready? Smart, a wheel. Number two. A clock. This, is, this group's quick. Glasses. Yeah. What are these things? These things are tools, ancient tools, inventions that made our life easier. Where would we be without them, right? I'd be half blind myself, right? When I hit 40, suddenly I couldn't see. I needed help. All right, let's go with three more. Here we go. Paintbrush. Yes. Pen. Tablet, tablet, yes, paintbrush pen, tablet. What are these things? These are also tools that we use to express ourselves, to tell our story, um, to relate to each other, to communicate. Uh, this morning I want to talk about our, our newest tool, our, our latest uh, gadget that is, you know, our closest companion. It's the one we say goodnight to. It's the first one we check in with in the morning. That's right. It's our mobile phone. (laughs) Ah, sweet, sweet mobile phone. It's how we navigate the world. It's how I got to church this morning. I didn't know how to drive here without the phone. And of course, as we're out there in the world, right, it's how we see things. It's how we perceive things. It's how we communicate with what we're seeing and doing. It's how we keep up to date with each other. Um, Have you checked? This is interesting. Remember the app store? Look at what that A is actually formed out of. You never noticed, did you? It's a device that's intended to, right, pull our creativity out of us and allow us to express ourselves um, at its best, right? The cell phone allows us to kind of communicate with the world in beautiful ways and say, here's a beautiful flower. Here's the the meal that I had. Here's the vacation I'm on that you're not in, you know? (laughs) Whatever that case may be, the humble brag, right? Uh, and, of course, uh, you know, in the early days, <laughs> I think we had no idea how this uh, device would, would, would uh, affect ourselves. Some of you had that phone that was like the size of a brick in your car, right? You needed a whole car to hold it. It was so heavy. Uh, but now, right, like 20 years on, I, I'm not sure how it might be bringing us together as a family. Right? Maybe it's sometimes separating us, this device that was meant to bring us together. Um, and I don't know if you're, you know, an iOS person or that other thing, whatever it might be. Um, but, uh, but I know you might remember when you got your first cell phone. Like, how old were you? Do you remember? Do you remember where you were? It's a big day, right? This is sort of the coming of, of adulthood at this point. It's that age of accountability, and kids start pressuring you. Right, seven, eight, nine. They're like, everybody else, everybody else has one, why can't I? We gave our kids a dumb phone, right, to start. It's like, no, you can only text, right? You can't get anything. But now, like, everything comes with all the knowledge. And so what do we do? And and what's what's our relationship to technology? How's it affecting our young people? I think we're just kind of waking up to that right now. And we wonder, right, are these digital devices enhancing? our relationships, or are they sometimes separating us, even within our own home? Uh, At the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology, we are deeply committed to relationships. We believe in the power of relationships with each other and and our relationship with God. And so that's what we're hoping to navigate this morning. And so I hope this morning as we talk, um, you'll come out of here challenged, but also have some encouragement about how to be more present to each other in our day-to-day life, and more open to God through that process. Um, this device, uh, you know, it, it was designed to serve us, and yet we often end up serving it. You kind of wake up in the morning, and it kind of already has your day laid out for you. It's already telling you this is what you need to know. Somebody tweeted, oh, somebody Facebooked, somebody posted, New York Times says this, CNN says this president says this, somebody else says that. Ah, I haven't even, I'm not even out of bed, and I'm already exhausted. Mm. Average 13-year-old checking their social media 100 times a day. I saw a parent-daughter glance right there. I don't know what that means. Hmm. I wonder how, many adult, how, how often adults are checking in. It's about 150 times a day. <laughs> About 150 times a day, about every six and a half minutes, which is about how long I've been speaking. So that's why you're getting this itchy feeling, right? Like, I kind of need to check back. Got to see what happened in that last six and a half minutes. But there's so much we might miss, right? While we're kind of looking down, right? Who knows what might be passing us by? (laughs) You don't want to miss out. You don't want to miss out. And, and you know, hey, the, the cell phone has done powerful things for people. There was a, like a student revolution in Hong Kong where they were resisting the government's efforts to kind of crack down on them. The Chinese government was suppressing democracy, suppressing freedom, and they gathered via cell phone and said, let's meet up here, right? Let's, let's gather. Let's resist. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Uh, same thing happened in Egypt. A lot of people said that it was social media that allowed people to get around an oppressive government, and so democracy came in via things like Facebook. Um, In fact, I I read about a guy who actually named his child Facebook as a tribute. Um, Of course, now, right, a few years later, we're like, wait, okay, is Facebook looking at me while I'm organizing, and we're discovering, like, hmm, maybe I'm giving a little too much of myself away to this device. It doesn't matter what your moment might be, here's Miss Universe was just crowned, and there's like a thousand photographers, and she's like, hold on, I just need my own selfie. Right? (laughs) She's like, just wait, just wait just a minute. Imagine back in the day, right, if we'd had this ability, it would change the way photographs were made. (laughs) It's just not the same, right? And, and you know, selfies can be dangerous. They can threaten your life if, at the wrong time, right? If, you, if you're taking the wrong picture at the wrong moment. <laughs> don't do it, don't do it. Uh, My wife and I wonder, right, does it make us more connected as a family? It's great when I'm out of town and I can FaceTime in and we can have interaction. I can see the kids. I can say goodnight. That's really powerful. But my wife also noticed when, when suddenly my daughter and her friends had phones that in the back of the car as they're going to school, they used to talk to each other. And now it was like suddenly silent. And they were like texting each other, but is that the same? Don't know. It's different, right? Um, I fear that we might be training right, the next generation to look down rather than up into the person on our right and to our left, into God. Um, I even ask seniors as they graduate, I'm like, did your phone make you smarter? And they're like, I'm not sure. I feel a little dependent upon this device to navigate my world. Um, of course, as an educator, any, any teachers in the house, right? Can it be a little frustrating? You've had these moments, right? <laughs> uh, as parents, it's affecting our, our home life. Here's a, a kid at the dinner table. They say, well, yes, you, we, you, we could read your blog, or you could just tell us about your school day, right? <laughs> How does it affect us in the bedroom, in our relationships? It's like this third thing that kind of is entering our life, pulling us maybe apart from each other. And where is the relationship with God? Do we take time to power down in order to power up? I believe the rarest thing we offer each other at this moment is our undivided attention. We're kind of always kind of zooming in and zooming out, zooming in and zooming out. It really means something that we, when we actually put it down, when we actually turn it off, is saying, like, I am actually present and available to you. It's very rare. Um, This struggle that I'm expressing, we have not mastered I have two teenagers, um, my daughter Zoe and uh, my son Theo And, you know, we gave them this device and it didn't come with an operating manual So they're trying to figure out how to navigate, how to care for themselves and care for their friends How to escape some of the teen drama that's swirling around them And yet we open this door to them without maybe helping them figure that out Uh, I found these quotes on the internet, Uh, Daniel Borstein said, technology's fun, but we can drown in our technology. The fog of information can drive out knowledge. Mitchell Kapoor says, getting information off the internet's like taking a drink from a fire hydrant. Do you feel that? It just keeps coming, just... We might feel like we're drowning in bits and bytes and ones and o's they're just little ones and o's but they just keep flowing um the average worker is now spending 28 percent of their week answering email is that who you were created to be (laughs) an information processor i don't i don't i don't think that's who necessarily god called us to that's not our higher selves what do we do with this dilemma um It's vexing, right? You can feel this, can I I, get a what, what on the information overload? T.S. Eliot, Anglican poet, writing more than 60 years ago, he said, where is the life that we've lost in living? Where is the wisdom that we've lost in knowledge? And where is the knowledge that we've lost in information? Wisdom, it's elusive, right? Very hard to come by. I can get a lot of information, but where's wisdom? He went on in uh, his poem. He said, distracted from distraction by distraction, filled with fancies, empty of meaning, tomb into apathy with no concentration, not here, the darkness in this twittering world. <laughs> 1943. <laughs> 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 Maybe it's not a new thing. Maybe we've always been prone to distraction. I decided to do my own research as a parent, as an educator, like, what do we do? I read a lot of books and I wasn't feeling like I was getting enough help. And so by the time I read a lot of books, I was like, you know what, I could write a book. So I wrote my own book. Um, It's called I, Gods, How Technology Shapes Our Spiritual and Social Lives. And uh, it's probably been the most impactful book that I've written because I think we're all feeling the tension. We have this kind of ambiguous relationship to our devices, kind of a love-hate, right? It's always on us, but then you want to kind of escape it. Um, and so the title, iGods, refers to several different things. I studied, really, the four companies that dominate our lives, right? I mean, about 75% of what we do online kind of comes through their world, whether it's, you know, whether it's uh, Google, Facebook, Amazon, or Apple. Uh, Facebook, of course, with Instagram, right? So for young people, they don't realize that Instagram is actually just Facebook. It's just hiding in a different way. Um, So these companies are so dominant that they are kind of the eye gods who rule our lives. And then also there's the, the, the people behind the companies, right? The billionaires who had amazing ideas and have gotten rich off these ideas. Um, My wife, it was interesting, when she saw this slide, she was like, well, it's interesting, they're all white males. Yes, I I see that, that seems to be a common thread. She said, it's interesting too, they all seem to be a little uncomfortable with human interaction. (laughs) They're a little socially awkward. And they've created a world in which human interaction is actually kind of reduced, where you don't have to be face-to-face. So it's maybe more comfortable for them. Right? But what is it doing to us? So these are the kind of the questions that I brought into my research. Um, of course, they're engaged in their own business battle and, and battling for market share. Uh, I, I thought this was an interesting map I found on the Internet. So you see Amazonia up there in the, in the Pacific Northwest. You have the Fortress of Facebook, right? So they won't tell us anything about themselves, but they want all of our information. Uh, Appalachia out there uh, on the coast. And, of course, they're battling for control of Google Earth. Right? Who will rule? Is technology an idol? What do you think? It's only $1,000. Right? It's such a cheap thing. (laughs) And look, you can order and you can camp out ahead of time. They'll deliver it to your door. Hmm. Are the eye gods idols? Hmm. At one point, right, we knew when kids uh, bowed down, put their head down, we knew who they were praying to, what's going on now. It's omniscient, it's all-knowing, it's always on, it's always available, ask Siri, and she will answer. Is there too much early attachment, (laughs) 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 right, (laughs) do you consider your... Your phone, right? Can you see it? He's like, mmm, I precious. <laughs> One ring to rule them all, indeed. AT&T. Are we more comfortable dealing with each other behind the safety of our screens? We can kind of keep our relationships at a certain kind of distance. I kind of respond when I want to. Uh, oh, somebody's texting me right now no, I'm not going to respond. I'm going to resist. Um, As a college professor, it's been interesting to notice that, uh, that loneliness is rising amongst young people. The counseling office has just been overloaded. So even as we're more connected via social media, more kids are also kind of sitting in their room and watching other people's lives and feeling envious. Facebook envy is like a real thing. Um, Everybody else is projecting, maybe on Instagram, like their beautiful, perfect, airbrushed, filtered kind of life. So we're comparing like our horrible daily life against their beautiful photos. So the more time you spend online, in some cases the more alone you can feel. When I think about uh, young people in my um, classes, the minute they leave, they're picking up their phones and they're checking in and kind of getting a different set of marching instructions. Uh, I think about Jesus, right, when he saw the crowds, it said he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We're in this weird space, right, where we feel more stressed out. We seemingly have more free time, and yet we feel more stressed out. It's very odd, but I think it's because of this constant connection that we never take a break from, that we don't get enough rest from it. Imagine if you lost your cell phone. Who's had that happen? (laughs) Ah! Panic! Right? Seventy-three percent of those who lose their phone, they panic first. Fourteen percent get desperate. Seven percent get physically ill. I'm sick. And yet there's that six percent who are like, oh, thank God. (laughs) I can't be reached. (laughs) I'm actually relieved. (laughs) Receive the good news. You are not a device. (laughs) You are more than an information processor. You're fearfully and wonderfully made, and you do not have to serve the i-gods, right? This device, you have the power to take control back, right? To use that God-given brain and find that off button if you need, to pause those notifications, to change the dynamic of what's going on here. Um, We can check in with God, perhaps, (laughs) on our devices. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess the key question I want to ask this morning is, is what does God think about technology? Do we have a theology of technology? We kind of all embraced it without really thinking what it might do to us. And how do we live and, and serve God through the device? What does digital discipleship look like? How do I love someone in a virtual space? We say things online we'd never say to people in person. So how do we kind of figure out how to love someone uh, through social media? It's kind of a strange concept, right? But if we're gonna spend all this time in that space, what do we do with it? So I decided to go back in scripture and try to figure out what does God think about technology? And I know you've been studying um, uh, Exodus, right? Um, Which deals with idols. Uh, certainly, it deals with uh, an arc, it deals with a journey. I went back to Genesis, and I said, okay, let's think about God as creator. We're comfortable with God as creator. Would we say that God is a technologist? Is God the original technologist? Here's an old uh, painting from the Middle Ages where God's using tools and devices to kind of sculpt and measure the world. If you go back in Genesis, um, this is the Sistine Chapel. Anybody been there? Have you seen it? Exquisite, right? Michelangelo's painted in the middle of the ceiling. There's an image of God. And what's God doing there? He's separating things. In Genesis, it says He separates what? Light from darkness. What's the next thing God does? It says He separates land from sea kind of either-or. That's actually the root of technology. This is all about ones and os. When you do a search on Google, it's saying this, not this, this, not this. So, this idea of separating is rooted in kind of the beginnings of Genesis itself. God's saying this, not that. This belongs here, this belongs there, making order, right, out of chaos. It said there was chaos over the earth, over the waters. And so, God gave shape to this void and brought order to chaos in Genesis. And isn't that actually what engineers do? Isn't that what, uh, you know, I've heard there may be a a few oil engineers in your neighborhood. I don't know. Uh, Isn't that what they do? They try to figure out how to take something and solve it, make it happen. Um, You're dealing with, say, the, the power of water, right? And you felt the power of water when you couldn't control it as a city. And it was pure chaos when you could no longer hold it at bay. And so it's good, I think, that God's given this ability for us to engineer and to control and hold chaos at bay. And yet this device is creating chaos for us. So how do we take that power back, right? I mean, we're, we're figuring out how to har- harness the power of wind, the God-given power of wind. We're figuring out how to use God's rays to create alternative energy. Maybe not so much here in Houston because, you know, you're interested in that other energy, but that's okay. It's okay. West Coast guy here, right, you know. <laughs> what happens in Genesis 2 when, when things start to fall apart, right, when, when God's intent... Uh, is marred, and uh, Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden. What's it say that God gave them as they went? God knows it's going to be hard out there, and so it says that God gave them garments, (laughs) garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and He clothed them. Clothing, is that a technology? It's a technology of sorts, isn't it? It requires some design. It requires some weaving. And so technology has been a comfort consolation for a hard world ever since the beginning, since the very beginning. Um, I I found this photo. uh, This is uh, taken in Michigan last week, I think, Uh, maybe a little further back. But uh, technology is a comfort and consolation when it's cold, when you need to cover yourself to survive. Or in Houston, I heard it can get hot here. I'm not sure, so you might need a hat, you might need some sunglasses. So technology is a great God-given gift. What did God also give Adam and Eve when they left? He actually put a tool in his hand, right? You see it over there on the left. Look at this stained glass. There's Adam with something to do what? Break up the ground because it's tough. It's going to be rough out there. So I'm going to give you a tool. And then on the left, you see the, the loom for Eve, right? For those clothes for that comfort. So, I, th- I don't think God's scared of technology. God understands technology is a gift that we can harness to protect and preserve and to be fruitful and to multiply. And, and we've been so fruitful and multiplied, right? I come from um, the West Coast, and I mean, the, the, the fruits and the vegetables that we produce are amazing, right? We do great things with these gifts that God has given us. So, that's God. Now, what about Jesus, What's Jesus think about technology? Anybody follow Jesus on Twitter? <laughs> We're all trying to follow Jesus. <laughs> what would he tweet? It's interesting. He, he, a lot of, you know, you take the Beatitudes. Those are short, like 140 word, 140 letter uh, things. Maybe 280 he'd be up to on some things. Um, what would he say about our cell phone use? Would he say turn it off? I don't know. Uh, and then the big question, is Jesus a Mac or a PC? I think I know the answer. <laughs> but I'll let you decide, you know. <laughs> uh, I did a word study of the New Testament, of the Gospels, to try to understand what would Jesus say about technology. Um, what do we know about his, his, his parentage? What did his father do? Carpenter. Carpenter. Ever done a word study on that carpenter word? It's pretty interesting, right? I looked it up. The Greek word for carpenter is tekton. Jesus is the son of a tekton. Where do we get the word technology, right, from that Greek word tekne? I don't think Jesus is surprised by where things have gone, right? I think Jesus would be comfortable with the gifts of technology um, because he's always been someone who understood how the world worked and how to make things move and efficient. What about us as God's people? I think we've always been at the forefront of technology. If you look at church history, you look at the breakthroughs, right? Anybody been, uh, been here in France, right? This was cutting-edge technology, it's the best architecture of the day. It was a group project, how long did the project take? It's like a 300-year project, <laughs> and yet it's lasted 1,000 years to the glory of God. So they weren't afraid of technology, they said, let's harness technology to the glory of God. Um, and what they put in it? They put in the latest technology. This was a breakthrough in its day. Hey, we're doing glass, and you can tell stories in glass. Wow. And look, the church still has a few, right, vestiges of that. What else? Ah, the church organ. Think about what an invention this would have been in the year 1700, 1800. Revolutionized worship. People would come from miles around just to hear the organ that they invested in as a community. So many other things. Bells, church bells were a cutting-edge invention to help the community know when to show up. Even watches. Who invented watches? Monks. Monks invented watches because they wanted to know when to work and when to pray, how to divide up their day. And so now, right, we can pray the hours, is how they organize their day. They weren't afraid of technology, right? They'd encourage good coding, I think. <laughs> They'd say, go ahead, young people, right? Learn how to code. And of course, churches, in some cases, like this one, early adopters, are they doing a good job back there? Those tech tectons? Good job, tectons. <laughs> Way to go. Right? And they're bringing this music to us. Wholesale embrace. And of course, the Pope, he even takes selfies. So maybe technology and this phone don't need to be so scary and powerful after all. Is technology a blessing or a curse? What do you think? Is it a hope to embrace? Temptation to avoid? What do you think? I'm going to say yes. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> right Just like money Just like our job Our family We can turn anything into an idol Or we can turn it into a way to bless others But it's up to us Dang it God Da. <laughs> ah. Of course, what are we doing with it? I found this. Uh, If someone from the 50s appeared today, what would be the most difficult thing to explain? I possess a device in my pocket capable of accessing the entirety of information known to man, and I use it to look at pictures of cats and get in arguments with strangers. (laughs) Beautiful, right? And I mean, who doesn't love a a good cat picture, right? I am right there with you, always love, love the grumpy cat, love the grumpy cat. Beautiful use of technology. Beautiful. (laughs) How do we deal with that temptation? (laughs) How do we deal with it? What do you think, right? We can get wrapped up in the cult of Mac. Uh, We can place too much faith in that tablet that uh, Steve Jobs placed in our hands. Uh, The local cathedral, right? Everybody may be crowding in to uh, the cult of Apple and gathering at the Apple bar. I want to be a genius, too. (laughs) <laughs> what do we know about, uh, about Steve Jobs, right? Not, not necessarily a person that you want to emulate in your personal life. Not known for his generosity. Um, I found this interesting. Um, a New York Times reporter went to his house. You'll see in the second paragraph, uh, uh, he, the reporter said, So your kids must love the iPad, I asked. The company's first tablet was hitting the shelves. They haven't used it, Steve Jobs told me. We limit how much technology our kids use at home. Pushing it on you and holding it at bay in his own house. Hmm, interesting, interesting. What does God think about technology? I'll conclude with two more stories from Genesis to think about. As you go on, uh, there's another kind of cautionary tale in Genesis, lovely story of Noah and the animals, right? Every kid has this in their room, maybe. It's a great way to decorate. Uh, What's at the heart of that story? What's the the assignment that's given to Noah? What's he supposed to do? Build an ark. Why? Save lives. Technology can be a life-saving gift, right? Genesis 6 and 9, technology is used to preserve human life, to preserve biodiversity, to allow us to thrive. And at the end of that process, God says the same thing he said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. Beautiful. That's technology at its best, right? We do it with medicine, right? We do it with uh, pacemakers. We do it with hearing aids. We enhance our daily lives. What's the next story? after Genesis 9. What happens in Genesis 10? One chapter later, they go to Babel. There's another big technological project. Who leads that project? Who's the the director? Anybody know? A lot of kids named Noah. Not a lot of kids named Nimrod. Nimrod says, hey, I got an idea. It's going to be great. And uh, we're not sure where the tower was, right? But there is kind of ancient Babylon. There is ancient, you know, if you go to Iraq or Iran, there are these signs and symbols. This was a common thing that people were doing. What's the Bible say? What was Nimrod's agenda? Let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the earth. Gonna build a tower, a platform that reaches the heavens so we may make a name for ourselves. How's the project go? What do you think? Does God say, yeah, that's great. Yeah, no, not so great. It's interesting, right? Technology can be also a self-serving folly. Got to think about it, right? What do we call social media apps? If you talk to developers, right, they don't necessarily say, I'm building an app. They say, I'm going to build a new platform. It's interesting. Oh, it's a platform. Huh. What do you do with that platform? Well, you can do a status update. (laughs) You can put yourself out there. You can extend your brand into the world, right? Hmm. hmm, what's the key question that we have to ask ourselves when it comes to technology? Is it a life-saving arc? Is it a presumptuous folly? What's the answer? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. How do we keep ourselves from falling into that temptation? I think we have to ask questions that maybe Nimrod overlooked, right? Who or what is being elevated in our social media? in our technology? What story are we telling? Who are we celebrating in that work? The i-gods would say, it's all about us, right? And I think they're tempting us to see ourselves as idols. How do we resist? C.S. Lewis says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. It's pretty good good advice kids (laughs) you might say okay thanks professor uh but that's just a little too much for a sunday morning (laughs) what's the application what do we do what's the implication right for how we live in our context our family our home life it's hard to know right the responsibility is in our hands what do we do with this how do we put it in its proper place Um, What does digital discipleship look like? For our family, it's interesting, um, when we have a birthday party, we actually don't allow our kids and their guests to have their phones, because we feel like they're gonna take pictures and they're gonna blast it out there, and then the kids who aren't there are gonna see those pictures. So one way we try to care for each other was by keeping things actually private, rather than making everything public, giving people more space. Um, I think this is the new measurement of love. And devotion, right? Do you love me enough to put it down, to be fully present? Parents, I think that one's on us. I think kids maybe learned how to interact with these things because when we're not available, they're kind of running to their devices. Um, This is what God says. On the seventh day, God finished the work he'd done and rested. Anybody come in weary? It's easy to be weary these days, and this can be a wearisome device. It may need to be turned off every now and again there's a group in the bay area that started a national day of unplugging these are technologists who work in silicon valley and they're like you know what i need to stop <laughs> i'm obsessed and so uh uh the group uh, led by tiffany Schlain, uh, she's reclaiming her jewish roots and so for her family on friday night they power down they do a tech sabbath on friday night Game night, kids. We're going to all be present. We're putting our devices away. We're going to lock it away. You won't get it back till Saturday. Ah! But she said they love it. They look forward to their technology-free time as a family. You might want to try it. Um, Wendell Berry, the poet, farmer, um, he decided on his Sabbath days after church, he was going to go out on his farm and be in the field. So not the football field, right, but this other field. And in, in those Sabbath poems, this is what he wrote. He said, Friends, every day do something that won't compute. Isn't that beautiful? Maybe it's not about efficiency. Is it efficient to be loving? Maybe not, but love the Lord anyway. Love the world. Work for nothing. Take all that you have and be poor. Love someone who does not deserve it. Thank you, Ecclesia. Proud to be here.